But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his, of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I, am, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So today we're uh, finishing up this series of Philippians 3, the cruciform life, and we're, we looked at this phrase last week on what does it mean to become like him in his death, where Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Some of you are familiar with a great book that really goes with this called The J-Curve by Paul Miller. If you've not read a book and you want to understand more of the depth and riches of what Paul studied and helped us see and so uh in in this phrase but paul says i want to know him in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death and it just dawned on me this week as i was studying for this sunday that my friend paul says that it's important to believe the gospel but it is also important to to, to uh become the gospel so Believing the gospel becomes the gospel is that the cross becomes central to everything we do. It is the source of power and wisdom for all that we want, and actually it's through the cross that joy opens up to us. We really begin to understand what joy is when we begin to look at the power of wisdom of God centered around what Jesus did for us at the cross. So a great diagnostic question beyond any joy, because most of you have studied Galatians, you know this question, where is your joy? Paul is really confused because uh, the people of God in Galatia are under a spell. They've been bewitched. He says, who has bewitched you? So how, there's a spell that's been cast on the Galatians who started off so excited about the cross and what it meant, and now they're trying to get what they need and what they want through their own effort. And Paul says, where is your joy? And that's the key question. So let's just uh, go unplugged here for a second and say that afterwards, uh, you know, I could go out with you with Valerie, who's with me today, and we could just sit down and chat, and I'd say, tell me, where is your joy? Would you stumble over that? Would you struggle with that? Would you say, it's deep, deep down in my heart? So... There was a woman I worked with up in Cambridge last year, and she was so delightful. And so we had a banter going back and forth. And uh, so I would always just, when I'd get on a call with her, I'd say, where's your joy? She'd go, it's deep, deep down in my heart. So that's the goal, though, is to get the joy that God has, the fruit of the Spirit joy, deep into our heart. So let's review from last week. We talked about becoming like him in his death, requires that we are living in the already. We're trusting the already. In other words, at the cross, Jesus has defeated all our enemies. So do you know the sin that's in you, the problems that you've had, Christ has already won the victory over them. <laughs> He's already defeated your sin. So why is it so hard for you to believe that your sin is bigger 
than your Savior? <laughs> Why are you struggling with trying to understand uh, how sweet the message of the gospel is for the youngest child? What happened to it? Where did it go? Where is your joy? What, what, I mean, what happened? Um, the already is that he's defeated not only sin, he's defeated the enemy who will wear you out and constantly accuse you and challenge you saying, if God is good, then he can't be sovereign because why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? Or if God is sovereign, if he's in control over everything, he can't be good. So that's the, those two questions are real critical to your faith walk because unless you can say with a whole heart, I believe that God is not only in control of all things, he is so good. So in the African-American church, the, uh, the African-American preacher will say, God is good. And what will the people of the church say? Anybody know? All the time. So let's practice that. God is good. All, all the time. God is good. There we go. There we go. So now we're in. So God is good all the time. But the enemy constantly comes after us in the most subtle of ways, and he'll say, is God really good? Is he really good? Why is he allowing this suffering to go on? Why is he permitting, if you will, these things that are so horrific that when you hear them, you kind of go, you know, your heart just gets cold. You shrink back, okay? So that, that's, that's real-time stuff, but if it starts wearing on you, eroding in you, causing you to doubt the goodness of God, much less that he's in control of all things, then you become a prisoner of the enemy's lie, and you start to give in to the lie that God is not good and he's not in control. And that's so critical to our faith journey. So again, the already not yet says the truth is this, the truth is that God is good, and he is in control. Why? Because Jesus came as a man to be the perfect son, live a life that we could never live, keep the law perfectly with joy, and then become, what, a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice with joy, so that in the gospel we receive a righteousness and forgiveness that will transform our life. But it also will lead us to the grave because Jesus has defeated the grave, we don't have to worry about being apart from God forever. He's defeated hell <laughs> itself. So we live in the victory, the triumph, that the ultimate battle for your story, our story, the church's story, was won at the cross and the resurrection and his ascension. And even now he prays for us. So that's the good news. Now, the gateway to the joy, to the cross, uh, is going uh, to joy is through the cross. Uh, and that's how we get to the joy that's going to lead us to this reality. If his joy is real to you, not only will you persevere, but you will prevail. So let's think about that. Many of you are enduring well, but you're not prevailing in what God has done for you through this. That when joy is real, you're going to smile more. Okay? Uh, you're, going, you're just going to light up when you see people, even people you don't know. That when you're talking to the checkout girl or you're talking to somebody at work, you're just smiling them. Now, I have a good friend who the gospel has done a lot of work in him. He runs his own company in Greensboro. And he grew up in a home where his father was a very demanding father. He had to get it right, do it right, be it right. 
and his dad was always suspicious that he would never he would not run the company well which he inherited and took over which is doing extremely well but if the message you're getting all the time is um have you done enough did you get it right have you prepared for the future have you covered our tracks from the past if you're constantly hearing that voice of your father saying get it right you're not getting it right and you project that onto your relationship with God, what are you going to look like? Well, my friend, he would tell you, he would just walk around with a scowl all the time. And he looked very cynical. So when he began to work on developing his own personal mission statement, it was this. I need to smile more. I want to smile more because of what Jesus has done for me. So here's one little gift that you can give to people this week. Because when you smile at somebody versus just look at them like, you know, hey, Greg, and I'm, you know, flatline, you know, you know, Greg, no, we've known each other a long time. Greg will go, oh, Clyde sees me, and he says hello. But I say, Greg, so good to get to see you. Remember when we had those crazy days at UNC Charlotte? All of a sudden, Greg's brain is going to light up, and he's going, Clyde is delighted to see me. Uh, so when you smile at your children, smile at your spouse. When you greet them, when they walk into the room and are in the morning to get coffee and sit down at breakfast, and you just look at them and smile, what's it communicate? Joy. The kind of joy that God has for us. Because all of Scripture is built, not all of it, but a lot of it's built around this theme. And here's the theme where we want to go, get to today, is to seek God's face. In Psalm 27, says seek my face why because god wants you to see his smile towards you and over you now when i was thinking about how to help you take on this truth i want to become like you jesus in your death uh it just clicked for me this week why did jesus go to the cross what's one of the main reasons that helps us determine to embrace this calling on our story for North Cross's story. How do we do that? We get a clue from Hebrews 12 where we read this. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so slowly, uh, so slowly, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, here, wait for it, here it comes. Look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why would you want to be a person who is living sacrificially for others in a way that sometimes is very difficult, very hard, and very discouraging because you don't see much fruit from your labor with them, your parenting of them, your patience with your husband or your wife? Why would you endure that? The answer is, here you go, wait for it, the joy that will come to you as you are faithful to the work of the cross in your life. The joy that will come to you because Jesus will show up and begin to say to you, I have so much joy in teaching you what the cross means to you. And now that you are becoming the gospel for someone else, I want you to smile a lot more. I want you to be a lot happier than you let yourself be. I want you to know that I delight in you and I'm thrilled to be your God, your Savior, your King. 
I want you to see the smile on my face. Now, if we were to do a little exercise, and we're not right now, because I know some of you go, okay, here's where we go weird. You know, if I ask you to close your eyes and just see the face of Jesus, and this could be an exercise you could do uh, later, is that um, is to really close your eyes. When I look at Jesus, what do I see on his face? You see Jesus looking at you going, what is wrong with you? <laughs> When are you going to stop pretending to be a Christian and really get serious about your faith? You know, kind of like that tough Marine drill sergeant or that coach or maybe the way your father was, maybe the way your pastor was, where it's all about, what's wrong? Let's get it right. Do it right. Do it right. Um, uh, versus, again, seeing the face of Jesus, and as soon as you make eye contact with him, there's this huge smile towards you. Now, I want to tell you at North Cross, there are some great smiles in this church. Many of you have already smiled at me, and I tell you, it just helps me so much. If you didn't say anything else other than, hey, that was a great sermon, and I hope you preach it again next Sunday. But many of you are just really, you've got wonderful smiles. Now, translate that to seeing Jesus, even now by faith. Um, and what, what happens to us when we see him smiling at us? graciously, joyfully, expectantly, but also to see his face and to see the tear in his eye that he has for us because he knows it's really hard for us to believe that he loves us as much as he says. And he sees our struggle, our doubts, our fears, and that creates compassion. His heart goes out to you. His heart reaches out to you with tears. Now, Many years ago, uh, I've got scars on my body, but one that I won't do what LBJ did a long time ago. He raised his shirt to show people where he got his appendix taken out. I'm not going to gross you out this morning. Um, but probably, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, but when I was in my 50s, I had, I kept having a lot of stomach issues and my appendix burst and it was, the surgery was much longer than it needed to be and so I was in the hospital in a, for a week because I was too proud to go to the doctor and say, my, my side is really hurting. It's just having a lot of pain. I got, it's going to go away. I take aspirin, whatever. Anyway, so when I finally did go to the ER and they opened me up, it was badly infected. It was gross. All right, so I got it out. And so, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I had that fun experience that some of you have had in the hospital where they had to put a tube down my nose, down into my stomach, okay? Which you don't want to experience. But here's how I feel when I'm sort of exposed that I need help or, um, you know, there's something wrong where something's got to be done from outside of me because I can't fix myself. So this nurse is getting ready to put this tube down my nose, down in my stomach, and we're eyeball to eyeball like this. And I am ticked off, you know? Now, I'm, because I'm a pastor, I can't get as bad and curse like I would have if I was one of you. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, and so anyway, but I'm just upset. I'm angry. That, dang it, I've got to have this tube crammed down my, and this nurse was so empathetic. I mean, she knew I was not happy and I was angry, which meant I was really afraid and insecure about what was going to happen. So she started put this thing down my nose, down in my stomach. Um, she, her eyes just fill with tears. Now we're making eye contact and I'm seeing those tears and I know they were the tears of Jesus. I'm pretty, pretty 99.7. She knows Jesus and she just, she just had tears for my insecurity, my anger, 
my impatience. And then she put that down at some point. I felt loved. <laughs> you know, I felt like I could do this. I could let this woman do this to me. And I knew I needed it. But when the tears of Jesus begin to move towards you with that smile, you begin to take these and you say, I can do this. I can do, I can trust you with this. I can take it on. And so how do you do that? You begin to say, Jesus, teach me how to become like you, that when you died for me, to bring the kind of joy, the kind of smile that I want to give to my friends, my worker, co-workers, uh, my family. Uh, I want to learn how to do that through your sacrifice for me. So here's the exciting news is that in view of God's mercy, we've been studying said. Jesus says, or God says to us through Romans 12, then give your life as a holy and living sacrifice for others. So are you excited about giving your life away with joy to those because of the mercy of God, which has taught you so much about his joy for you, that I can't wait to give myself away for you, for this church, for this community, for people here who are really deeply wounded and afraid, I'm so I get to do this. <laughs> I get to give myself away to people because Jesus through the cross gave himself away for me so that I might see his smile even today and know that he is for me. During our silent confession, I confessed uh, a sin that I've been struggling with and I was just, I kind of tried to say, I want to see his face. So I looked into heaven and I saw Jesus looking at me and guess what I saw? He was smiling. He was smiling at me. It's so reassuring. It was so whatever. So anyway, um, what does it mean like for you to be that person who gives the smile of Jesus to someone else? How do you get there? Because the cross means that you've got to die to yourself in a way that it's not about you or you're so self-conscious or you're so worried about your reputation or what will they think if I get sort of like... Happy slappy, you know, slappy agape. If I get just kind of out there, what will people think of me if I'm really nice to them or I'm smiling at them or I'm enjoying them? You know, it's one thing for you to enjoy me when I'm being a nice guy. It's another thing for you to see me being a jerk you know, like I was to that nurse. And you're really, you're, you're there to help me through that and love me through that. You see, becoming like him in his death is that practical. You die to what I would do, what I want to do, and I want to be Jesus for this person. And if you're going to be Jesus for somebody else, here's, here's a giveaway that you're being Jesus. you got a big smile. <laughs> you're just excited about delighting in that person. You're excited about seeing that person. You're delighted about helping that person. I've told you that there's a restaurant where I eat regularly, and I have a waitress I get often, and... Uh, you know, we've developed some banter, a good friendship. But I can tell, you know, when she comes up and say, what are you going to have today? And I look at her and say, I'm so glad you're my waitress today. So good to see you. She doesn't sit there and say, would you stack that stuff off? Just, I want your order. Two eggs, bacon, what do you want? It's like we make eye contact, and then I'll say to her, is there something we can pray for you today? Because we're getting ready to pray over breakfast. And here's what she'll do to my friend and myself. She'll put out her hands like this basically take my hand and then she pours out her heart she'll say i'm estranged from my son um they're not enough people working here this morning 
Uh, there was a couple weeks ago, there was, uh, you know, I thought this was a big deal. But anyway, she said, a lot of people who work, I have the bus tables, I have to wait on everybody. So we prayed people would show up to help her. And they did, but that was not so much an answer to my prayers. <laughs> she was giving them hell back in the kitchen, saying, get more people working. But I think the fact that I would pray for her to say, God, bring some people to help her so her job isn't so hard today. Um, now, that's not me. That's not who I am. But because Jesus has taught me, teaching me, I want to become like you in your death. It's not about me. It's not about how people perceive me or how they relate to me, but I want people to see Jesus in me. And this is where it really gets good. You know, as we uh, think about Thanksgiving, <clears throat> there were some great smells in my mother's kitchen when she was alive. I love the smell, smell of turkey, smell of the stuffing that we made, just the aromas that were in there. But besides smile is what kind of aroma are you giving off? Would someone say to you, I, you know what? I have a sense that you have the aroma of Jesus. So I'm going to go back a few years ago. We had moved back from, I'm trying to remember where we moved from. We had moved from Atlanta back to Winston-Salem, <coughs> and I'm having to do a check-in about some procedure with a doctor. So this is back when they would type it all in. And, um, and so I'm talking to this African-American woman, and, and so uh, she was asking me questions, and so I thought I'd get her going, you know. So she said, and uh, I said, she, she said, uh, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Great. What denomination do you work with? You know, what's your denomination? I went washed in the blood, just like that. And you could just see her smile, saying, and she just got all tickled, you know, because I'm a Presbyterian, and they don't do that. But anyway, she didn't know that yet. But anyway, um, I said, I'm washed in the blood. And she looked at me and goes, I knew you had that certain aroma about you, okay? When you and I are washed in the blood of Christ with the joy that that brings, that we've been freed from the pettiness of our sin, the power of our sin, our sin is defeated within us, we give off this sense of presence that people might not know it's Jesus, but they're going to figure it out at some point. They're going to pick it up. So becoming like him in his death, here's where I want you to see the connection is taking up the cross and denying yourself and following him, you're going to lose the bad stuff about yourself. You're going to discover all the good stuff about yourself, and you're going to find your life that God meant you to live. You're going to find the thrill of knowing this joy that the angel said there would be good news of great joy. It's not just a little tablespoon. It's just not a little taste. It's this overwhelming gulp, the big gulp of joy that's going to flood your soul. And you go, I, I want to learn more what it means to die to myself that Jesus might live in me. I want to live the truth of Galatians 2.20. So if you want to take an application, what does it mean to become like him in his death? Then memorize 2.20 this week, meditate on it, and think about it this way. I am crucified with Christ. Okay, I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, why would you say I'm crucified with Christ? Because I'm so thankful that, Jesus, you took all the guilt and problems that I have, and you took something on you that I would never take on myself. Because it says here in Hebrews 12, 
he despised the shame of the cross. Now, it's one thing to know that you do bad stuff. It's another thing to know that everybody in this room carries shame in their story. And Jesus hates that. He hates the shame that's in your story because it so cripples you, handicaps you, paralyzes you, keeps you away from his smile that he despises it. You know, he despises what shame does to you. He took that shame on himself, but he despi- He hates shame and what it does to his people. He hates it so much that he died for it. Now, here's the beauty of the mystery of the gospel. Who would do that but Jesus? He hates what shame does to you. So at the cross, he shames your shame. So if you want something to get you excited this morning, like, is God good? Yeah, he's so good. He would shame my shame by sending his son to die in my place and break its power. So I'm no longer defined by the shame of who I became in a toxic household and what was said to me and done to me. That does not define me. I'm defined by the one who despised the shame of that, who died in my place, forgave me for who I became because I didn't know what to do with it. But even if I did, I still would have done the same things because I didn't know Jesus. And I didn't really begin to understand how to be free from it until I saw Jesus dying on a cross for me. Wow, the joy is set before us of freeing people from their shame. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we're here. There are people outside of North Cross, probably within a 10-mile radius of here, who desperately need to hear that message. Desperately hear that message. So I told you a story. This friend of mine that I'm mentoring, he's a pastor down in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. He's been working with a guy whose daughter died from trisomy 13. He's been coming to church. He grew up in a very... A religious home, went to church every Sunday. And so finally, Nick got a chance to sit down with Dusty and tell Dusty about the meaning of Jesus' death for him and the hope that he could see his daughter again that he lost. Now, Dusty grew up in the church. He had heard all this stuff that we're talking about today, but he never trusted it or believed it. And when he, and Nick finished presenting the good news of the gospel to him, Dusty looked at him and goes, I've never heard that before. And Nick says, well, would you like to, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and so you know what comes next, but how many people in your world have never heard Jesus explained the way I just said it, that Jesus died for your sins? How many people at the gym, how many people in your neighborhood, how many people would say to you, if you said, can I share with you something that will really help you to know healing and hope for your story? And they'd say, I've never heard that before. Talk about incredible good news. For the joy of doing that, for the joy this Christmas of having some divine appointments with people who are just so ready to hear this incredibly good news that Jesus went to the place of their shame and died for them to set them free so that they wouldn't be captive to their shame, but their broken hearts would get healed. Wow. What a, what a Savior. So what is this joy? Our God reigns with wisdom, power, and love. And he's amazing. He's an awesome God. So that you and I might know the fullness of his joy. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you this morning for being here to help us. Uh, again, hear the good news, to hear the joy that redounds and comes for us today. So, Lord Jesus, help us as we even stand to sing in response and worship today that you will fill us with your joy. We pray, because in your presence there's a fullness of joy. Amen. Let's stand and worship.